Welcome everyone to episode one of the SA Crypto Podcast. I'm James Preston and we're at the Avancor offices this afternoon and uh, it's a pretty exciting time because it's our first podcast and uh, it's a real privilege to have Jevin Coffingray with us. Jevin, good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast, man. Good afternoon. Nice to be here. First podcast I think I've done. Really? You've been to, uh, you must have been a guest on like... Uh, a, a quick like shout out or something at one of these conferences that you've been to like I mean uh, EdCon and all that. there's always someone running around with a camera at places like that oh yes yeah, so that kind of stuff's happened before <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but um, first first full length podcast that you're a guest eh absolutely well I think it's fitting that it's SA Crypto then um, Jevin just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, how did you get into software development and then what got you into blockchain technology all right um I was always going to go into the technical field. Um, 2003, started studying, studied locally in, at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Finished that in 2006. Uh, that was a BSc in electronic engineering. From there, I decided to head off to, to Oxford to get some experience there. Came back to South Africa and worked in the electronics field, developing hardware and software in the telematics IoT space. Did that for a number of years, great experience um found myself drifting towards more the software aspect of things, preferred that. Um, and then a few years ago, decided to co-found a, a reg tech company called SA Lantern, where we, do, we just developed a, a compliance platform that we license off to, to companies. Um, and once that platform was developed, it actually afforded me the time to start looking at, at new technologies. Blockchain obviously being very interesting. I mean, it's not often that you find that there's a disruptive technology that comes out and you can get in early and start learning about that. I mean, that's for a techie person's kind of dream. Yeah, so from there, dug into a few Ethereum courses, started playing around with it, um, really jumped out at me. Then started speaking to a few local guys that I'd worked with before. We got together, found a, a great interest in, in blockchain and yeah, co-founded Avancore. Wow, so... Uh, it was um, uh, just blockchain in general, the early stuff st caught your eye and you just did a bit of research and went on some extra courses to learn more about the, the technology, mm. right? Um, so what attracted you to the Ethereum platform? And you said, you, you mentioned it, the Ethereum courses in, in particular. What attracted you to the Ethereum platform? So, you know, it was blockchain that kind of caught your eye. Then it was into the Ethereum platform. Why, why the Ethereum platform? Well, I guess when, you, when you're getting into development, you want to start with the things that have a lot of support. Um, even with, the, with Ethereum, having a, lot, a, a big development community, there's there's not really the tools that you have in traditional development like doing, I don't know, PHP or JavaScript developments. And those languages have been around for a while and the tools have been developed. Um, blockchain's got a long way to catch up. So I think for most developers that are getting into blockchain, they're going to go to the community that has the, the, the biggest development base because they've got support. It's probably more tutorials out, out there. It's the easiest one to sort of you know, help yourself get into it. Um, and then I've just stuck around with it because I really love the development community there. And uh, obviously having been to EdCon, got to know the guys that are the, the core developers and start to understand uh, what they're trying to achieve. And yeah, it really, it really like hit me. So yeah, that's, I mean, for, for the audience, the listeners and, the, and the, those watching, that's why Jevin's our first, our first uh, podcast guest. It's because you've just come back from EdCon, the, um, the Ethereum Network uh, Development Community Conference, um, which happened in Toronto, Canada this year. And we say just, but it's been, what, two months now? Yeah. It's been two months. And we've kept saying, you know, we need to have a meetup where Jevin talks about what he learned and everything. So Avancor kind of sent you over to represent them and learn everything you can. Um, and so we wanted to tap into a little bit of that, uh, into what sure. EdCon was, uh, what it was like. But before we get there, you mentioned that blockchain technology was disruptive or is disruptive. And it's not often that a developer, as a software engineer like yourself, gets to be involved in something disruptive and exciting and early, and, and early like this. Um, so 
what is it about as a software developer what is it about blockchain technology that interests you sure number of things um i mean looking from a high level it's fantastic to be able to transact with things that are you know peer-to-peer no intermediary but it's it's the ability to be able to digitize something and hand it over to to someone and you know now it's it's theirs. I mean, it's so easy in the digital space for me to create a copy of something. But with cryptography, you manage to digitize something, and that digital thing now now has ownership, um, and that ownership um, can't be can't be replicated. The blockchain just provides this platform where that's that's looked after by this this community and through consensus uh, provides a. A, a new platform, a new a new database that opens up a world of development for developers now. I mean, there's a there's a host of new applications that we can dive into developing. I'm thinking when when software developers started finding about being able to develop in mobile applications, and like, great, oh, there's all these new applications that I can start developing. We're currently entering that space again. Wow. Now um, let's let's come back to the Ethereum platform. Can you give us a brief summary of the platform itself. Um, what makes it so attractive to developers in the blockchain industry? Um, I.e., what is an ERC twenty token for, for instance? Um, what is a smart contract? Um, just give us a little summary on on the Ethereum platform. Okay, so I, I think the the question is really around platforms that offer smart contracts as opposed to just being Ethereum, because Ethereum is not the only platform that is going to offer this sort of smart contract feature set. Um, but essentially, with let's we just look at Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a ledger that allows you to uh, store debits and credits. It's just transactions, well, in, in its in its pure form. With Ethereum, you have now the ability to actually store code, and that code is what people call smart contracts. So I suppose consider the the use case where we enter into agreements. If that agreement can get put down. In terms of series of if this then that, we can write that into code and put it on to the Ethereum platform, and we know that that code will execute as expected. No chance of of fraud, no delays. Um, yeah, so essentially just code that can now run and is trusted. I think if you look at say insurance applications, consider a world where. Uh, I enter into an insurance contract, and if I rightfully need to be paid out for something, that that just automatically happens. There's no delays. There's no me having to fill out forms for a claim. Uh, if something happens, the blockchain gets notified through what's called an oracle, executes, I get paid out. And I look forward to a world where we don't have to wait for these intermediaries to, to get involved, get our form, and then it's up to them where they decide that you know, oh, well, this is a valid case or not. Being a software developer, I, I, I trust the, the logic behind software as opposed to a human being. And I would rather my contract was um, executed through that, that means. All right. So, so in, I mean, in summary, Ethereum is really, um, you can put code onto the ledger instead of, instead of uh, just binary transactions for instance you can put all kinds of code mm. and instructions into the ledger into the blockchain and know that it's not going to be duplicated or changed because it's mm. immutable yeah i don't think i did it too much justice um, by giving such a simplified example well, I mean, it's great for it's great for people like me we need the simple mm. we need the simple uh, understanding of what mm. you know what separates ethereum from uh, yeah. other platforms out there but i mean you'll certainly be able to in time extrapolate those concepts um, you know, the, the, I mean, the, the applications that we can develop on there are numerous. Okay, so um, I know you and I were chatting off mic about this a little bit earlier, but um, you know, you're not just a software developer who's kind of now experimenting with blockchain. You've mm. actually got some experience in blockchain. You have developed a token, right? Mm. Um, I'll leave that up to you whether you want to go further into yeah, what kind sure. of token it is. But you, you just tell us a little bit about the experience you have in developing on the Ethereum platform. Um, and it's not, it, it's not it t- just tell us how it's not something entirely new to you but you you know you okay you've been down this road already so i think actually because in the last question i i actually missed the one point you did ask about what an erc 20 20 token is so erc 20 is 
really a technical standard for how a smart contract needs to be um, developed. So uh, that ERC20 standard indicates that you need to have like a total supply, the ability to check the balance in, in someone's, someone's address, uh, be able to transfer funds. So it really is the standard for how the smart contract should be developed. And then when we create a token, we're actually creating a smart contract with this ERC20 standard. It just happens to have all the feature sets I need for a token. So yes, I, I have developed an ERC20 token. It's, it's, it's not actually on the, the live network. The reason being is that this I had this idealistic dream um, of trying to trying to help wildlife conservation. Uh, created this, um, was my project was called Rhinos Token. It was to try um, get IT, IT devices, because IT is one of my backgrounds, um, into wildlife conservation and hold a massive dream about what type of IT devices will be there with certain algorithms and be able to profile wildlife. Um, and get them into these wildlife organizations so they can start getting uh, wildlife conservation data onto the blockchain and use a token to assist them in monetizing that data. Obviously, monetizing data that is insensitive. You don't want to, to be telling people where rhinos are. Sure. Um, but there is other means in which you can monetize that, that data, and I thought that would be a great initiative to help these organizations get more funds. It's just on the back burner for now because Avancore has got so much going on at the moment. And uh, obviously I've only got 24 hours in a day. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of other technical things I'm still trying to mull over into. Uh, yeah, the technical spec is quite <laughs> quite comprehensive. Yeah, um, I can imagine. So um, just uh, again for for those in the audience who may not be aware iot when jevin refers to iot he's talk, talking about the internet of things um so how many developers did you have working with you in in uh working on rhinos token was it just yourself were there a few others well initially it was just myself um then i got one other developer on board with it um uh, and then uh, yeah another developer to assist with the the actual hardware the iot devices Wow. So, um, so I mean, real sort of comprehensive, holistic approach that you took because you started by yourself, mm. kind of went all in on this thing. Um, how many how many people would it take to to see a project like that through? Do you think it could have just been you and two other guys? Would you have needed a team of ten? What kind of teams yeah. are needed for a project that big? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You would need you would need quite a substantial team for this. Um, that's where I was actually hoping that at some at some stage the this whole RCO thing would be able to assist. But um, yeah, that gets me a bit because I worry about these platforms that come out there that you know are promoting these RCOs that and the token actually doesn't have a utility. So that's been um, you know I'm quite conscious about that. So it's another reason why I've wanted to put a lot more thought into it. I wanted to make sure that there is actual utility behind the token if we're going to create an RCO. But and ICO would have created the, the means to get funding and to get um, to be able to develop this team up, um, because the the entire platform would be hardware devices that are talking to a server that are connecting onto a blockchain. The blockchain contracts would be quite com complex. So yeah, I mean, I, I I was looking at a team of about ten guys. Wow. So even that's quite small. I mean, that's quite uh, it's interesting. Yeah, um, yeah I think. That is key for the for the crypto asset and blockchain space right now. Is it's it's become overrun with ICOs because mm. it's easy it's easy money, um, mm. and I mean your approach is so unique in the space when you think of how many uh, tokens and assets there are in the space. So many of them without any utility, that but they've made, raised billions of dollars. You know, mm. um, and so to have an approach like yours. Um, where it's actually, you know what, my token, yeah, it could raise me money, but I'd, I don't have a use case for this token yet. So this is a bit of a red flag. Mm. Um, is there not a space for someone to develop a, a platform whereby crowdfunding can be done on the blockchain instead of, because what seems to be happening is they are taking it... Uh, 
a step to, they're getting ahead of themselves where they are creating an ICO to raise funding, right? Now they have a token, which was purely, purely uh, generated and created to raise funding. That mm. token is not, is, has no utility at all. Is there not a space for, um, for a blockchain company to build crowdfunding causes on their platform? So almost like an exchange whereby people can start a course, start a business and raise funds through an, an, an ICO or whatever it may be, a crowdfunding cause, but on this token. And it just gets contributed to their, their unique address. You know, I mean, what are your thoughts around, around crowdfunding in the blockchain space? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I think when you come to crowdfunding in that, in that regard... I think I'm quite pro-regulation. Um, yeah, too many ways for people to get scammed. Yeah, I think I'm just skeptical because of just the the history of ICOs. Um, yeah, I mean, if 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 you could have a company like that that is is properly audited, then then I suppose. Um, I mean, I, I do know there are actually platforms out there that do something similar to it. Uh, I just haven't investigated them enough. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think if we're going down that route, then got to make sure that the regulation is in place to protect people okay all right so regulation is key in this space all right so yeah that was a bit of a uh, a bit of a rabbit trail which we won't follow too far um okay so let's talk about edcon right you were recently there uh it's one of the key conferences run by the ethereum community um so just tell us about your understanding of what the conference aims to achieve Okay, so it's really to update people about what's what's happening in Ethereum, what what the core developers are working on. Um, yeah, what's happening with sharding, Casper, that type of thing, um, the latest in crypto economics. Also to you know get developers together, help build that community. Um, and a lot of companies come there that are developing on Ethereum. And you hear a lot about the different applications that they're they're developing. I mean, they obviously want a platform to to show people. And that's a great, um, you know, a great place to do it. So obviously, um, am I right in saying the uh, EdCon stands for the Ethereum Development Conference? Mm. Am I or the Ethereum Developers Conference? Ethereum Development C- Community Conference. Okay, um, and it's endorsed by the Ethereum, uh, the Ethereum organization. Um, what's the, the official name? Is the Ethereum Foundation? Yes. It's endorsed by the yeah. Ethereum Foundation, but not necessarily put on by it. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Um, here's a, an interesting question for you. Did you find it was a shill fest? Because a lot of these, these uh, conferences are really just an opportunity for ICOs to sponsor a spot. They come and then they shill their ICO for the 45-minute talk that they have. Was there a lot of that going on or was it really getting into the, the nitty-gritty of what's happening in the, in the community? So what I found was fascinating about that conference is that there wasn't much of that at all. Um, so what I think I love about software communities is that you get a lot of idealistic, idealistic people in it. Um, I think as soon as someone starts chilling there, they sort of get frowned upon because um, everyone has this ideal vision in their head about where they want blockchain to go and people that are shilling are kind of going against that um, that ideal that they have there. So yeah, the, the, focus, the focus of the conference was very much on on the development aspects of it. Um, really, most of the presentations are fairly technical. Well, that's great to hear. I mean, that's, that's, for me, that's absolutely imperative to a decent blockchain conference. So mm. that's good to hear. Um, so you and I have briefly chatted over Ethereum's move towards proof of stake, uh, the implementation of the Casper protocol, can you just explain to the audience, firstly, let's, let's talk about Casper itself. What is the Casper protocol? Take okay, as long, so as, take as, long think, as you need. Yeah, um, I think the, the struggle just talking about things like this is, um, you don't want to be too high level, don't want to go into too much detail. Um, so any, anyone that does know a lot of the technical detail, just have to forgive me if I leave out certain aspects. But I think we, we need to start with where, what proof of work does and provides. So with proof of work, you get miners that are validating transactions and solving a mathematical problem to get a block onto the blockchain. Now, what this is doing is this is causing, there's there's obviously a lot of miners, there's a lot of energy being used, and you have no, what they call, finality. 
So you have these miners that are really looking after the the entire blockchain. So with that, these with this great power that these miners have, there's, there's a lot of responsibility there. So, I mean, it is theoretical this, but you you can go and take the blockchain back a year and and create a branch and and change the history of the entire chain. That that is quite possible. That's what I mean by there is there is no finality. So what Casper tries to do is to provide that finality and does it through a hybrid proof of work proof of stake system. So uh, just and just to be clear that this Casper is actually two different Caspers that have been proposed. One is being uh, Vitalik's, which is Casper, the friendly finality gadget. And there is um, Vlad's Casper, which is the correct to construction. Con correct by construction, actually, sorry. It will be, it's uh, the friendly finality gadget that will be the phase one development. Okay. That will go on, that's, that's gone through testnet and that will be what is released onto the Ethereum network. So what that does is that every 50 blocks um, that can mine on the Ethereum network get validated. Now, you, anyone can become a validator. You send uh, some Ethereum into the Casper the contract and now you can become a validator. There is, there is a minimum amount of Ethereum. I can't remember what it is. It might be somewhere around 150 Ethereum. But of course, you can enter into a pool and pool your money and become a, become a validator. And then, so you essentially are staking now. So every 50 blocks, uh, validation goes through, and if there's two-thirds consensus, that block is now finalized. So essentially, the miners are now looking after all the blocks post the finalized block and not having to look after the entire blockchain now. Hmm. Um, so they, so the staking obviously comes in where they have to put up collateral, right? They have to put up the 150 Ethereum or whatever it is at the mm. moment to stake their their collateral, their uh, Ethereum. And because they've put it up, they are now allowed to participate in the verification of, of those two thirds of, of the mm. chain. Am I right? Yes. Okay. So um, are they ever allowed to, if they decide to withdraw from from validating the network, can they withdraw their 150 Ethereum? Yes, there, there, is, a, there is a time delay for withdrawing. So you put in a request to withdraw. I think it works out to be something like three months. Okay. So after three months, you can then withdraw. All right, cool. Um, so, yeah, my question here was around uh, Vlad, Vlad Zamfir's uh, tweet where, where uh, from my understanding, it was Vlad's tweet that initially rose to the publicity or, or brought to uh, the public's awareness this name Casper, right? Um, do you think there's any reason as to why the Ethereum community chose to call the protocol Casper um, and not just the proof-of-stake protocol, for instance? <laughs> um, so, so just to, to clear something up, the Casper is actually not just a proof-of-stake protocol. Okay. Um, proof of, it's, it's actually a proof-of-stake laid onto proof-of-work. So it can't be called proof of stake because oh, okay. okay. it's not strictly just proof of stake. Right. It's a hybrid. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 a hybrid. Well, it's phase one is a hybrid. I mean, Ethereum will be work, working towards this proof of stake network, and Casper is really the phase one of that. Um, why they decide to to call it Casper? I mean, I don't know if Vitalik call or Vlad called it Casper before they came up with the the subtitle "Friendly Finality Gadget" because it's. Friendly ghost, um, but yeah, this was spoken about at uh, EdCon, but for the life of me, I can't remember why they, uh, yeah, why they called it Casper. Okay, so it remains it remains mysterious, like a yeah. ghost, I guess. I'm sure with a bit of googling, <laughs> we'll find it though. Um, all right, so uh, the the protocol itself um, will it affect ERC twenty based tokens? Um, and how they're mined. So, for instance, does the intended protocol change to the Ethereum platform affect all tokens built on the network? Uh, so, no. Um, it's just going to affect the consensus mechanism. So, uh, yeah, the Ethereum virtual machine platform is not being affected. So, you know, it's your Solidity contract will still be your Solidity contract on there. It's just the way the consensus mechanism works. Okay, so other... other um, uh, uh, projects built on the Ethereum platform with ERC20 tokens um, that are built to be mined via proof of work will continue to operate 
as designed originally mm, yes. and not affected. Yes. Okay, that's interesting. Um, let's go back to EdCon itself, the conference experience. Name, name for me your three favorite sessions and why. Oh, sure. So many good sessions. Choose um, three. And why, of course. So I enjoyed, um, there, was, there were actually two by, uh, if I can pronounce it, so I agree, Carl Flourish. So Carl Flourish gave a, a, a talk on crypto economics. So really the economics behind in how we incentivize, how we penalize um, on these networks to, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a really fine balance there. So you, th- you think of staking. When you stake your coins, um, you're, you're obviously putting up money now. Now, what is the chance that you're going to lose that money? If you're staking, then you, there is a chance you're going to lose it. So um, you've really got to fine-tune those, those economics in that system to, to just make sure that you're getting out the bad actors and not people that are actually trying, trying to get good and, and incentivize correctly. So that was really interesting. Um, the the Casper friendly finality gadgets uh, talk also by Carl Flourish was was great. He just got a he's got a really interesting charisma to him. Um, very very handsy, um, jumps around on the stage, which might look odd, but he he comes across as just being super enthusiastic. But he speaks really well. Guys are asking him questions because actually in in EdCon you have the main conference area, and then on day two there's a small uh sort of smaller area where there's very very technical presentations and it was in this presentation that you can you can ask questions and he answers really really well so that would be the second one i think i think the third one was um the ethereum improvements um uh, proposal triple nine which was talking about the parity hack that happened Mm. So with the parity hack, if you don't know, there was far, about just over 500,000 Ethereum that is now locked up because of this hack. What the hack was is that someone managed to self-destruct a library that the parity wallets were using. So that means that there's a bunch of people, innocent people, that were using these wallets that now cannot uh, cannot use their funds. So this this proposal is to try to work out how can we how can we extract these funds. How can we get people's money back for them? So there are people that have the, the approach of, well, blockchain is blockchain, it's immutable, really tough. But I mean, this, this, if you think about it, put, imagine you had a thousand of your own Ethereum on there. How would you feel about this? So the considerations are that it's, you know, this is, you know, we're still in the early chain, uh, stages of blockchain. These are lessons we should uh, learn from. Um, 500,000 Ethereum is a quite a massive knock to take just to just to be like look well that's that's it you know so I mean there's already been three previous proposals that have been rejected by the community so obviously you have to get consensus in these communities to get these things through and they're on the fourth proposal now so yeah it was a really interesting chat to work out um, you know the, the pros and cons of of each solution what people are saying why we can't go this route why we why we should go this route and this there's there's no real right answer there to be honest um yeah so tough one so that session was was one of the proposals you say we're on our fourth proposal was that session what that fourth proposal well this the session was was giving a history so going through what what the three previous proposals were and now you know what is the fourth proposal um which is what out of interest sake because i mean it's interesting i've just come back from um a conference in joburg the global Mm. blockchain congress and it was referenced um that vitalik has the power Uh, you know there were the the speaker was comparing ethereum to uh, another blockchain mm. um project and they reference vitalik has the power to go back and change the the the, the chain and and change the ledger um which i thought well you know i don't know if i fully believe that is that mm. the case and obviously what you're saying here with the parody hack technically the developers could go back and unlock those those ethereum um, but I, I'd imagine it's not as simple as that, right? Yeah, so if you want to go change something, you've got to remember that you've got an entire ecosystem there. Um, so, you know, any core developer can decide to make change to, to a repo where the Ethereum virtual machine is sitting. Um, but there's going to be people reviewing that. So, like, 
and just using Ethereum as the example here, the, de the development community is quite large. You've got a lot of people reviewing that code. Um, uh, so a lot of input coming in there. And once uh, all the developers are like, great, this is a good change, you still now go to go and convince the miners that they should now, you know, download this new software and use it. So sure. really, you, you can't just have one person like Vitalik going making a change. You need to get buy-in from everyone. And that's what's so great about blockchain is that there's it's it's consensus that mm. rules. So what was the fourth proposal? Okay, so going back to that, so um, a bit difficult without going through all three proposals prior. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of detail there, but essentially what the fourth proposal there is to simply make one state change uh, to that contract. So some of the other proposals were going on about trying to create a, a mechanism to reverse self-destructed contracts, but then there's a bunch of pros and cons to that. So, yeah, so they want to know if they can make a one state change on the blockchain just to to unself-destruct that contract. But, you know, as with everything, there's pros and cons behind that as well. All right. Um, now, just tell us about the value of physically attending a conference, right? Um, do you find people get more value out of it? Um, what's your advice to people thinking about going to a blockchain event or conference as opposed to just watching it on a live stream uh, or watching the sessions mm -hmm. later on YouTube? Well, there's certainly a lot of value in going to these conferences. I'll tell you the, the value I, I got from going to EdCon was the, the developers I met. Great, I managed to uh, create a good contact base I mean, South Africa development community around blockchain is it's not not very big. So, you know, going there, you obviously get to meet guys that specialize in certain aspects. Um, and also, it's really to to understand what the entire community looked like, um, and also get to understand the the sort of heads in the community. I mean, there are there are the the Vitalik's and the Vlads and and the Cole Furishes that I that I mentioned and I've you know, watch a lot of YouTube videos, seen them, but I've never really met them in person. So I managed to meet Vlad and Carl and them and have small chats with them. And yeah, they, I mean, it's, it's great to, to meet them in person and you, you, you create a, a greater sense of trust. I think if you meet people in, in person, um, and then I, I know personally, I'll find that if I'm sitting in a presentation live with other people, I'll, I'll pay a lot more attention. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of uh, chatter that goes in between the presentations. You, you exit out of a presentation, you're with a whole bunch of guys, and you start chatting about it, and you're debating certain topics. Um, yeah, so you, I mean, I, I came out of that conference going, okay, I've got a really good feel for the for the community here, um, created good contacts, extracted a, not, a lot of knowledge out of those presentations. Yeah, but then obviously, there's the financial cost of having to do that, going from South Africa, I have to fly all the way to EdCon, it's a lot of time away from work. There's a financial cost to to flights, accommodation. Um, fortunately, with the the development community conferences, they're not as expensive as say the um, New York consensus, which is a few thousand dollars, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. Whereas this was, I think, three hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, but still yeah. A, a small financial burden for, yeah. for most people. How how many people were there? About in the range of about a thousand. Um, wow. Of which I think uh, at at least fifty percent are actual developers. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What are the other fifty percent? Media, uh, just general public, people oh. interested in blockchain. Yeah, quite a, quite a mix. Um, a lot of people that just that maybe own companies that are getting into blockchain, not uh, necessarily right. a developer. So there's I mean there's two types of tickets when you go to Edcon. You can get the developer ticket or uh, a standard ticket. So if you're a developer, you actually get a cheaper ticket. Okay. Yeah, but you've, uh, got, you've got to prove that I you're a I was going to say, how? How do you do that? Yeah. Is it, you have to write a little code test or something. <laughs> no, so you can provide your your LinkedIn profile and uh, your your GitHub um, profile. So okay. GitHub is a place where you can store a bunch of your code. A lot of it is is public and they can see your your activity on there and you know what kind of repos that you interact with, that type of thing. Ah, okay. Okay, so it is, it is trackable, eh? Yes, it is. Um, well. What do you say to, to developers? And I actually know uh, developers who are critical of, of Ethereum. Um, 
What is your response to the criticism that developers make towards towards Ethereum and the the, the platform itself? Um, yeah, I mean, Ethereum is not the be and end all. Um, I mean, there's going to be blockchains that come out there with different pros and different cons. I mean, you think about a blockchain that's working on on proof of work, and you say, well, you know that's a bad blockchain because you should be using this blockchain that's that's proof of stake. Proof of stake and proof of work have their own pros and cons. Um, I think if I was uh, once a week selling a million rand to, to Brazil from South Africa, um, I would rather that was on a proof of work network than a proof of stake network. network. Um, yeah, so most of the criticism that's, that I've heard has come from people who haven't really understood the, the platform very well. Um, so personally, I've just yet to, to have an engagement with a developer that knows the platform very well. That doesn't mean that Ethereum doesn't have cons. It just means they haven't just come across, I haven't had a, a conversation with a developer who's managed to uh, persuade me that um, one blockchain is going to be far superior to, to Ethereum in the years to come. Um, yeah, I mean, Ethereum is going to be a difficult platform to... Uh, to overthrow um, because as, as as Vlad has mentioned before that a blockchain is actually uh, not just a blockchain there's also a developing community mm. um, there mm. are the tools that get uh, developed out there um, I can't just go and create a blockchain and say that I want, I want to use sharding um, for those who don't know what, what sharding is essentially what it is is you've got this your, your pool of miners and you break them into pools and and few of your miners validate these transactions few of your miners validate these transactions so that's all great so I can push the throughput of my blockchain up because I've got charting but charting is only going to work on a network where you've got a lot of miners so if you've got a you started a blockchain you've got a small amount of miners and sharding is not a really a great solution in that in that case um, so yeah what, what more can I add there um, it's a, it is a difficult question um, there's, there's going to be a lot of pros and cons to, to every blockchain that comes out. Um, and my sense is that any blockchain that comes out with any significant improvements is just going to be um, pulled into the other blockchains. Um, I mean, if someone comes up with something else other than, than sharding or, or uh, a hybrid solution like Casper, um, I imagine the Ethereum developers are going to get together and go, oh, okay, well, what are the pros of that? How can we implement this on, on our solution? So it's very possible that in three or four years' time, which blockchain we're working on is actually not the problem. You probably find that a lot of them have um, are, are very much the same, or you're picking a blockchain that is very specific to your application. Hmm. And the, what about the root code itself? I mean, the language that Ethereum's built in is Python. Python, am I right? Hmm. Um, I've heard criticism towards um, towards it's because it's written in Python, for instance, hmm. um, whereas Bitcoin is written in C plus uh, plus. Is is that a is is that a vulnerability? Is there reason for for criticism? I mean, I'm not a developer mm. by any stretch of the imagination. I don't understand the difference in, in coding languages. But from your perspective, is that reason for criticism at all? I think when, you, when people are trying to criticize coding languages that have been selected, um, especially coding languages that are uh, as, as well established and supported as, uh, as, such, as C++ or Python, it's... Uh, for me, I see this very being very nitpicky, <laughs> to be honest, because uh, all of them are going to have their their pros and cons. But um, I mean, there are there are a lot of platforms that have developed on C plus plus. There are a lot of platforms that have developed on on Python, and I think you get anyone who's really well versed in Python and someone who's really well versed on C plus plus, and you put them in an argument together. Um, I'm quite confident I'm listening to that argument. By the end of that argument, I'm still not going to be sure which is the best to, okay. to use, to be honest. So it's really a weak, it's, it's a weak argument probably from someone who just has a bit of a bias. Because I'm actually, I mean, I'll be honest, and the per, hopefully the, the developer doesn't listen to this podcast, but there's a good chance they will. But anyway, um, they, that's the only, um, this developer was the only, that, that, or rather, that was the only uh, point that he picked up. He was like, yeah, I was developed on a, on a crappy platform, for instance, um, mm -hmm. or, or crappy language. Um, 
and hence for me to ask someone like you who has experience in the actual uh, code itself, um, yeah, it makes sense that actually he's just being nitpicky. Look, it's something that's possible. You could you could well have um, a, a valid argument for it. Um, I'm I'm not an expert Python developer, um, so when I mean when I develop on the Ethereum platform, I'm using their language Solidity to develop on it. So I mean I don't need to know Python in order okay. to develop on Ethereum. I'm just talking from my experience of having known a, a vast array of of languages and trying to nitpick between which is which is better. Um, yeah, so. Look, it's 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 possible he has has a use case for it, but um, I mean it, it it hasn't come up in the conversations that I've had that Python is a bad language for them to have developed it on. Okay, um, I'm gonna uh, jump in there a bit. Uh, I know it wasn't in the prepared questions, but you you mentioned so when you're developing on the Ethereum network, you um, are using their Solidity. Um, does that mean it's sort of you're using the uh, an interpretive sort of application that allows what you're programming to align itself with a more strict protocol of how Python uh, code is laid out. Uh, what is what do you what did you mean by that? Okay, so um, let's maybe go back to, and it to might what actually happens. And you might code. think it's too technical, but I'll tell you from my experience with our audience. Sorry mm. to jump in, but uh, we've got people who want to study code. You know, mm. so these might be important things for them to understand. Mm. Trying to work out the the level of detail to to go into with with this type of question. Um, when you're developing on Ethereum, you don't necessarily need to develop in Solidity. Okay, so you you're going to develop on one of maybe three different languages, um, and then you've got what's called a compiler. So a compiler is what takes your code; it interprets your code. And essentially puts it into a a format that whatever environment is going to use that code can can interpret. So it it will put that into ones and zeros that the the Ethereum virtual machine can interpret and, okay. and places it on there. So you know you don't necessarily for in this example need to use Solidity. You just need to use a language that has a compiler for that uh, can compile the code for how the Ethereum virtual machine needs needs it to be. So what is Solidity? When you say using Solidity, what is that? It's it's it is a programming language. Okay. So it's yeah. So I mean, just like C plus plus, Python, Java. Yes. Solidity is a is a language on its own. Yes. Okay. So you you think about it. You could have a language that if I want to say I have a variable and I'll, I I want to plus add one to it, my my coding language could say variable x um, is equal to x plus one. And that could be the syntax that is used in that coding language. Whereas you might have a coding language that uses a, a different syntax. It just, you just, if you want to go x, add one to, to variable x, you just go x plus plus um, and you use a different syntax. But at the end of the day, when that code is compiled, it's compiled into um, the same format that is required for, for the underlying uh, platform that needs to, to run that code. Okay. So when you're coding, you're coding in Solidity. Yes. Okay. All right. And a compiler. Just uh, use another noun there. A compiler. What is a compiler? Is that an interpret interpreter of code? What mm. is a compiler? Um, it's it's something that takes takes your code and puts it into um, a a format that needs to be understood for um, the the platform that it's on. Let's let's take a for example a a. A, a cell phone. So on a cell phone, you've got a microchip on that, and you've got some code that's running on that chip. Okay, that that code could have been written in a language called embedded C. So that that code gets written in embedded C on on my computer. Then I run it through a compiler. Okay, so that it takes that embedded C code. Now that microchip doesn't understand embedded C. It and understands a bunch of ones and zeros. Okay. So it takes that code and puts it into ones and zeros, and I put those ones and zeros onto that microcontroller, and that microcontroller now knows what to do with those ones and zeros. Okay. So the compiler is taking your code and and interpreting it into ones and zeros for the microchip. Is that what you're saying? Essentially. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Thanks for that diversion. Well answered. <laughs> 
Okay, let's bring it in for a close. Um, Jevin, I know you've got a good understanding of economics and markets as well. You Ooh, know, um, I feel a tough question coming. No, don't worry. Um, <laughs> what kind of a change do you foresee blockchain technology having on the world, uh, be it financial or other? So this whole peer-to-peer transaction thing is going to, <laughs> is going to change things um, quite a bit, I, I think. Um, obviously, it could, there could be another mechanism that comes out that, that um, supersedes this. But we live in a world with a lot of middlemen. And um, those middlemen take, take a lot of money. So if we can extract a lot of those middlemen out, it's, it's going to make things cheaper for the rest of the world. I think I made the points of an insurance contract earlier. Now, if you can have insurance con- contracts that are purely automated and run by scripts on a blockchain, you're taking in this requirement for some insurance broker um, and all their overhead that they require. Um, so the, you would imagine the cost of things would, would come down. Um, think of being able to use Airbnb without the commission that you need to pay to Airbnb. Um, costs of now going on holiday are now reduced so there's there are those those small things i think also the the ability for us to um remove exchange control from the world um that is a it is a tough topic though because exchange control in my opinion in some instances does have its place um but in an ideal world it'd be great to live without it um and then uh, yeah if we ever get there a global currency be great um and then yeah people not having to use um use banks to get loans uh, um, if we can loan loan peer-to-peer it's great to have this this trust that is simply built on built on mathematics um i think coming from engineering background i've learned to to love mathematics um and in this case it's the application of the mathematics and that is cryptography wow uh do you see a completely revolutionized world 50 years from now because of blockchain? Or is that a bit too big a statement? Uh, I, think, I think there's a very good possibility. Are there going to be blockchain or something that supersedes blockchain? Um, I mean, it's, it could well be that if blockchain is around 50 years and there's nothing that um, has proven to be better for its, for its application, then, then yes. But it's also possible that in 20 years' time we come up with another mechanism that is better than blockchain and, and that's the one that uh, revolutionizes the world but but the concept um i mean it's 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 difficult to see how it's not going to create at least some incremental change uh, over the next few years um and yeah if if satoshi's um vision can be realized then you know we we should expect a large change wow awesome uh, I mean, that's what we're all in it for, really. We're in it mm. for the excitement of the possibilities of mm. what this technology presents. Mm. Um, so just in closing, Jev, uh, what, what advice can you give developers working on blockchain technology at the moment? Ooh, like, any, like any development, it can become a rabbit hole. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it's, it's quite easy to start learning something and, and, and get stuck into it, but you, you realize that there is an entire world out there. And as soon as you build your first application, you start reading, oh, I also need to learn this. So it can, it, it can certainly be, be daunting. Um, and uh, my, my advice anyone wants to get into blockchain is, is to start with, with Ethereum. I know there's going to be a few people that cringe at that because everyone has their, their ideas about which blockchain is better to, to develop on. In my opinion, though, uh, Ethereum is just easier to get started on because of the community and the tools that exist out there. Um, there would, is they, a, would they need to read, for instance, Satoshi's white paper first? Would you advise that? No, I think a, a great place to start is, is Block Geeks. Um, uh, uh, I think Amir Rosich, he's got uh, the YouTube channel. Um, he started a company called called Block Block Geeks. I only actually found this out when I was at EdCon and, and met him there and chatted to him. Um, and on there, there's uh, he's got courses that uh, that teach teach Ethereum. The courses are, are really good. I've had a look at them, gone through the gone through the syllabus, um, and it's a great place to start. Um, again, in my opinion, if you're going to start developing on on another platform, you can you can get into it. Um, but it's just I think just easier to get off the ground with Ethereum. All right. Um, 
I had someone just this week at this uh, Congress in Joburg that we were at ask me, uh, should, I, should I, I've got a new, I'm at a, n- a new juncture in my life. I've, uh, I've, I've sold my business. I'm young, I'm 20, late 20s or m- sort of mid to late 20s. Um, I'm thinking about studying code. I've never studied code. Should I study code? Would you advise that person? They don't have kids. They are married, but don't have kids. Would you advise that person to begin a career in studying code? I think it's all, it all comes down to passion. Um, I'm a big proponent of doing things that you, you love doing. Um, if he's currently not doing what he loves doing, then a career change sounds inevitable. Um, a career change into coding, I mean... It works for it works for me. If if I was in a career that wasn't in coding, it would be an easy move because um, I know that's an area that I would be passionate about. Um, so if if he has that prerequisite of passion, um, then I mean, I think it's I think it's a great move because we're not going to run out of jobs in um, in developments in software development anytime soon. Um, there are a lot of other professions where you can't say the same. Um, there's always a requirement for developers. I think if 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 the guy's South African, um, developers is always up there in the the top top wanted positions. Um, there, there is some index out there that tries to compare the amount of jobs with the people with the required skills looking for those jobs. Um, and uh, is software development is is always in the top three there. So you're not going to be with. Um, in, in a space where you you're struggling to find positions in my, in my opinion um yeah and if you've got the passion then you you've you've got all it takes to to get really good at it obviously if the core competence competency is there awesome any other closing comments from yourself um i think uh i just hope that everyone else that's, that's listening has uh has the same passion for blockchain that we have and um shares our uh, our view that we we want blockchain to be used f- for the good um that's why I obviously i spent the last year last year cringing a bit at, at some of the rcos but um i hope that there are there are a few that come out and and um really provide real value for us and let's hope that over the next few years we we start seeing more and more applications that have have real real value um and we can start seeing further change in the world awesome Jevin Coffin Gray, thanks so much. We really appreciate your time. Um, I know we've taken uh, quite a bit of time out of your day as well uh, here at the Avancor offices. So thanks to Avancor for hosting us. Um, and yeah, thanks for all you're doing for the blockchain space and good luck, man. Ah, thanks very much. Um, and I'm going to take the weekend to go do some fly fishing now. I need to get my head out of the space for a few days come back fresh good for you i believe you're off to the drakensberg right yes the drakensberg mountains of south africa uh this may be an sa crypto podcast where a lot of south africans know about it but for the international audience it's going to one of the most beautiful parts of of the world the drakensberg mountains enjoy it man and thanks again thanks very much